You are listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. Well, good morning. All right, how's everyone doing this morning? Man, it's great to see you, and uh, my name is uh, David, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're just excited that you've chosen to worship with us. Um, if you're new here, I'm going to encourage you to, to uh, go to candonaz.church, and you can click on uh, First Time Guest, and we'd love to connect with you and, uh, so that we know that you were, you were here with us. And you can also uh, learn uh, more about us, find a small group, and uh, all kind of links just from that, just from that, one, that one site. Uh, Gene, if you would, uh, you can cut down this mic in the monitor, I believe. Uh, it's it's a little bit too much in the monitor for uh, for me, but other than that, it sounds sounds good. Thanks, sir. So, who who likes change? Not like the money change, but who likes to change? You know, who likes things to uh, to change and to be the same? You may you may can cut it down in the house. You might want to cut down the house a little bit. It's a little hot in the house. I'm um, getting a little, little reverb up here as well. But who likes, there we go, thank you, sir. I, none, of us, none of us like change, you know. We like for, on some degree, for, to, uh, for things to remain the same. Uh, one, one songwriter put it, the only thing changing is everything, stay, or the only thing that stays the same is everything's changing, everything's changing. That's a... It's a Brooks and Dunn song. You need to look that one up. That's a good one, too. Uh, but we don't like change, but yet we live in a world where things, uh, things change. Uh, we're coming up on election season here in the United States, and with elections always come changes. And some changes, maybe sometimes it's big changes, sometimes it's small changes, sometimes nothing changes. If you're, if you, if you're cynical, uh, and sometimes I, I tend to be a little, a little cynical, uh, it, 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 we live in a world where sometimes the office holder changes, but still nothing changes. Um, I think that the cynic in us, sometimes we feel that way as we watch, uh, we watch the news and see how things are, uh, things are unfolding. But we don't like change. We like things that we can, we can recognize, you know? We like things that, that we can recognize. We like, uh, we, we like being able to to look at something and say, I know what that is, or I know who that is. You know, something that we've all discovered here uh, with this pandemic, and I don't have my... But yeah, so these masks that we're wearing. How many of you have seen somebody in the store, and you've seen somebody in the store, and uh, you thought you knew them, or they say hey to you, and you're like, I don't know who you are, but they've got this mask on, right? And you're like, well, I don't, sorry, I don't, I didn't recognize you without your mask on, or... We now know people based on their mask. Like, oh, okay, that's so-and-so because they always have that color mask on, you know. But we, we like things that, that stay the same. Uh, uniforms, people wear uniforms, police officers wear uniforms, uh, different jobs wear uniforms because you can recognize there's, there's symbols uh, that are on those uniforms that tell you who people are. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes symbols are more powerful than we, than we realize, 
symbols, symbols are more powerful than we realize. If we're not careful, we can begin to align ourselves with symbols. We can, it can be the, the, the symbol or the, or the belief behind that symbol which, which dictates uh, our, our life and, and which dictates our thought process. And so we're beginning a new series today called Kings and Presidents. And it's in this series that we're going to, as we lead up to election season, I just thought it'd be fun to preach a series on politics, and I just thought that would just do everybody some good, uh, and it may even cause me to make somebody mad, and I just thought that would be just fantastic uh, to talk about what it is and how it is for, for believers to, to operate in a world in which we are voting on our leaders, and do these leaders line up with our values, do they not line up with our, with our values, and so we're going to be walking through this series. But symbols are a big part of our world. I'm going to throw up a few symbols. Uh, let's look at this first one. You, what, what is that symbol? Everyone, just knowing that symbol, you know what that symbol represents. You know what it means. Uh, for some of you, that symbol may make you go... Others may make you say, yeah, okay, you know. So there's just that one symbol, your brain all of a sudden starts making all these assumptions and starts making all these connections. There's, there's another symbol that's in our nation. Um, I'll throw that one up there. Again, another symbol. Again, this symbol from some of you maybe were like, that's more like it. You know, but we all have, we, as soon as you see this symbol, uh, people come to your mind uh, belief systems come to your mind. Uh, opinions come to your mind. Certain, <clears throat> certain leaders come to mind when you see these symbols. And so for the next few weeks, as believers, we, we're going to take a look at, at the symbols that are in our, in our, na- in our culture and, and to ensure that the correct things are informing our opinion, that the correct things are driving our lives. I could put it this way. That the correct symbols, the correct things are telling, are writing our story. Because I got, I've got news for us. As believers, it isn't the story of the Democratic Party that it is to drive us. It isn't the story of the Republican Party that is to be our big motivator. Let me throw up another symbol. This is the only symbol that is to inform our story. This is the only, this is the only symbol... That, that we revolve our lives around. Now, yes, it's, it's okay to have political opinions. It's okay to, to be involved in the process. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible tells us to be involved in the process. The Bible tells us, uh, I think about uh, verses like Jeremiah 29.7, where God tells Jeremiah, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city, of the place in which I've carried you to, because when it prospers, you will prosper. So we have this command to, as the people of God to, to be a part of what's going on. We're not called to, to hide into a closet. So yeah, we're called to be involved, but in being involved, we've got to make sure that this is the symbol that guides our hearts. That this is a symbol that, that guides our motivation. See, because if we're not careful, we can put so much faith in a certain political party that we believe the only hope is if a certain party is in charge. I've, I've been listening to a, a podcast called Presidential. And it was a podcast that they put out back in 2016, ahead of the 16 election. But if you listen to podcasts, if you're a history person, look this 
podcast up. It's called Presidential. And what this writer did, they, they, or this, this journalist, there's an episode for every president of the United States um, up until uh, Barack Obama because that's, that was the last, this, this was, like I said, it was uh, produced in 16. And I've listened, I am on, we just finished up Warren, Warren Harding, all right? So we're, we're now in the early 20th century leading into, uh, leading into World War I. Uh, but and so we're, we're we're getting or no beyond World War One actually so we're in that early 1900s. I'm going to be honest with you. I've listened to the history of this. I, I've I've listened to uh, them break down every president's tenure and what they believed in and what they were all about. And I've, I've got some I've got some news for you. There's been some areas in our nation that we've always come up short. <laughs> There's never been this great presidential leader that got it 100% right. I think about the issue of slavery. This, this actually just, it came, when I was walking through this, every president, did you know, we all know this, but didn't think about it, but this was an issue that the, the can got kicked down president after president after president until number 16 finally decided, well, we're going to do something about that. Every president had this big elephant in the room of, of, of slavery. And, well, I don't want to touch that. Let me, just, uh, let me just do some stuff over here, and we'll just, maybe it'll just go away, or maybe it won't be such a big deal. And so as I'm listening to that, it doesn't matter if, if it's the Whig Party or Democrat Party or Republican Party or whatever the party was, Jacksonian Party, whatever. There was never one person who were like, who got it all right. There's always going to be like these struggles and, and, and coming to terms with, you know, with, with different things. <clears throat> and, and, and even after, and, and even after president number 16, we dealt with, with, with slavery to a degree, but then, but then we had generations of even dealing with, you know, where do people of color fit in our society that we have generations of that. And so we have all these issues and I'm not trying to harp on one particular issue. That was just one that just came to my mind of, doesn't matter, there's been, no matter the party, no matter who it was, there have been areas in which you could see that we were not to put all of our trust in that one, in that one person. So I say all this to remind us that, that when we place our entire trust in political systems, then we have to remember that, that, that we are ultimately placing our trust in humans. And as believers, our trust is to reside only in God. As believers, this is the symbol. Your symbols matter. Symbol, symbols have power. Words have power. There's a reason why there's a, there's a cross that sits on our communion table. There's a reason why churches are filled with these symbols, whether it's uh, images on a stained glass or, or crosses up front or on a, uh, on a communion table. There's a reason these symbols are here because these symbols remind us why we are here. Last week we opened the service, or this week before that, we opened the service with the Apostles' Creed. And this is this ancient creed that goes back to 300 AD that just states who it is we believe in, why we're here, that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose again from the dead, sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge, living in the dead. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the church universal. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. So we, we, we say this, and, and when you come into a, a service and you're, you're reciting this, I'm not just having you recite something just for your health. I'm reciting this because remind us this is why we are here. We're here to worship the God Almighty. We're not here as a, as, a, as, as a group of Republicans or a group of Democrats or a group of conservatives or a group of liberals. We're not here for that reason. We are here to worship and serve the Lord God Almighty. And I would even take it a step further and remind us that when we come into this place, we come in here not even as citizens of the United States of America, as great as that is and as, 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 as a blessing as that is, we come in here to worship we join in, in believers worldwide, despite the country that they live in. We come and we worship the Lord God Almighty. And so symbols, symbols have meaning. Symbols are, they're very, very powerful. And so in this series, we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to chapter 2. And you may be... You may be thinking, well, the book of 2 Kings doesn't seem like the first place you'd want to turn when preaching or doing a series about political life. But it's thoroughly a political book. Its stories are strange, bizarre even. But the strangeness reminds us of how strange we are as God's people. Did you know that if you're, if you're saved and a believer, that you're strange? You're like, oh, yeah, we knew that, especially about so-and-so. You know, the Old Testament calls God's people a peculiar people, set apart. And so even all the strangeness that you may find in a book like 2 Kings reminds us that we are called to be different. Just to give you a little backstory, 2 Kings was, was written to a people living in exile. So the contents in 1 and 2 Kings is a historical look at the nation of Israel. But we have to remember that a lot of that history was, was orally passed down from generation to generation. And, and honestly, it wasn't until the, the, the people of Israel go into exile. They're, they're taken from Jerusalem. They're taken from their homes, and they're going into exile in Babylon. So now they're at the risk of being assimilated into a whole new and a whole other culture. Now, you guys remember that because you were here. Do you remember during drive-in church, we went to the book of Daniel? And the book of Daniel was about a prophet who was faithful to the Lord while they were in exile. I know you guys remember every word of that, you know, because you were outside swatting mosquitoes and fanning yourself and all kind of things. So the people of God, they're in exile. And so they say, we've got to write down a history. We've got to, we've got to make sure that all these stories that, were, that are told of the kings and prophets are getting written down. And so it is during exile that books like 1 and 2 Kings begin to, begin to come together. The chief message, the, the primary message in, in the book of 1 and 2 Kings is, is this. Don't forget who you are. Resist the temptation to be co-opted by a system that isn't interested in God's salvation. Don't be seduced by political systems that lead you to believe they will give you power. Trust in God's way of doing things. Trust in God's kingdom. And so even the way that the book of 2 Kings is written reminds us that we are to be focused on the Lord. Because, get this. 
What you'll find in the book of, of, of Kings, First and Second Kings, and just a little tidbit. Well, this is in the Sunday school lesson, so I don't want to. But anyway, it was all one book. It was written as one, it was all one book. It didn't get split into two books until there was a scribe that was copying it all down. And literally, this, I know this, ready for this profound reason, he ran out of a scroll and had to pick up the other one and start writing. Which kind of helps you explain why Elijah, his story kind of, you would think it would have ended at 1 Kings and then it would have gone into Elisha, but you get a little bit of Elijah there in the first chapter of 2 Kings. But, but this book is written primarily, and it talks about the failures, the failures of all the kings. Now, if I'm writing a history book, and you know, you want to talk about the good things, right? You want to talk about all the triumphs and all the victories and all the great things that people did. And that's kind of how history works. You, the, the winners write the history books. This is, as a side note, this is, this, is to, this is kind of free, but that's why there's a, there's a resurgence of telling the, the story of the Southern campaign of the Revolutionary War. You, you know, majority of the Revolutionary War was fought right here in South Carolina. But you grew up hearing about Concord and hearing about Lexington and hearing about George Washington and all that because winners write the history books. And so when a group of people below the Mason-Dixon line choose to succeed from the north and they end up losing that battle, then that means the ones above the Mason-Dixon line get to write the history books. And so when it came to talking about all the southern stuff of the Revolutionary War, they're like, ah, we don't want to talk about we don't want to give those Southerners any credit for anything. And so that's why you're seeing this, this, this resurgence in the, uh, uh, the Southern campaign of the Revolutionary War. Because literally, the Revolutionary War was won, was won here in the South. And in fact, I heard one historian say that our nation, the birth certificate of our nation may have Lexington and Concord as the place of birth on it, or Philadelphia, but the labor and delivery room was right here in South Carolina. And uh, so that's, not even, I don't, that's not even preaching. That's just like historical. I don't know why I'm talking about that. But just now you know. All right? Now you know. And so you get the same thing here in the book of 2 Kings. You, you, you would think that they would write about all these victorious things that the kings did. But actually, it's kind of embarrassing. The first chapter of Kings, uh, it, it starts with King uh, has. Hosiah, so even the preacher can't, uh, can't even pronounce all these people's names. But the king, Hosiah, falls through some lattice and gets hurt. And he goes off to send for uh, some false god, the prophet of a false god, to ask him if he's going to be okay. I mean, just, just an embarrassing thing. But this is how the book of 2 Kings starts. And it, honestly, that little, those little nuances tell us what 2 Kings is all about. The fact that you know more about the prophets then the kings keys you in on something of why we as a people of God need to be focused on the Lord's activity and not the activity of the kings. I bet you, the who grew up in church, you can name more prophets than you can kings. I guarantee you. Because even, even in this time, even to the people of Israel, the household name was not whoever the king was. The household name was Elijah. The household name was Elisha. 
And so the writer of 1 and 2 Kings is trying to tell us something about the leadership of the kings versus the leadership of the prophets. And so as we go through this series, we're going to look at the way the kings want to do things and the way that the kingdom or the prophets are called to do things. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be reminded that what the story that we are to be a part of is not the story of some political party. It is the story of God. It is the story of God that is shaping our lives. We're going to be reminded that the kingdom has its own way of doing things and seeing a, it has its own way of seeing the world. And I'll be honest with you, many times the way that the Lord would have us to see the world is different than the way that our political party tells us to see the world. So let's, let's jump into the text. First, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. In the same way that we don't like change, Israel didn't like change either. And so there's about to be a change. But it's not the king, because those change all the time. Like those, those guys, I mean, they just couldn't get their act together. You know, they were always. But there's going to be a change in the prophet of the Lord. The prophet Elijah, he served for many years being the mouthpiece of God. He's advised kings, or he's tried to advise kings. He did his part. He's battled the prophets of the false gods by bringing down fire upon the altars. And so now it's time for him to pass on the mantle or the cloak. Literally. Look at, check this out. Begin reading at verse 7. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance. So just kind of a side note there. So the Israel would have had, they would have had several prophets. It wasn't just Elijah or Elisha that was doing all this work. You had guys like Obadiah uh, and others who, 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 who had their books. But then you had even, you had a, a whole host of prophets. All right. So the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took out, took out his cloak or his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and, and two of them crossed over onto dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw, Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of the garment and tore it, of his garment and tore it. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak or mantle that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. When he took the, the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over it. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is the word of the Lord. Are you thankful? 
So Elisha has been anointed to take Elijah's place. Uh, Elijah literally called Elisha out of a farm field. We find Elisha several chapters back in 1 Kings plowing the field, doing his thing, and Elijah comes, uh, comes beside him and puts his cloak on him. And we have this image of, hey, you're going to be the next one. And so from that point on, Elisha is following Elijah. He's doing everything that Elijah is doing. And he knows how Elijah is going to leave this world. It's been, it's been revealed to them that he's going to be taken away. He's going to be swept away. And Elisha doesn't want to miss. Doesn't want to miss it. In fact, it's, it's, you see a little bit of Elisha's personality. If you read uh, back up verses 1 through 6, there are all these prophets of the Lord saying, Hey, Elisha, Elisha, don't forget, he's about to be taken up. You don't want to miss it. He's like, Yeah, I know. I'm not going to miss it. And then again, he says, Elisha, you know Elijah's going to be taken up in the chariot. You don't want He's like, yes, I know. It doesn't really say that, but when you read the, the text, it's like Elisha's like, hey, leave me alone. I got this. I understand what's going on. <laughs> and, and, and so you kind of get this personality that you, that you see there, there in the book. So there's a little, there's a little anxiety around the people because they know there's about to be a change. We don't like change, do we? There's always a little anxiety around things changing. We don't know who's going to win. Polls say one thing, but we all know that polls can only tell you so much. We don't like change. So back to the story. Elijah finally... Several times Elijah tells Elisha, hey, I got to go over here. Uh, you stay right here. And Elisha says, no, 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 I'm not leaving your side. And Elijah finally looks at Elisha and says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. I want a double portion of your spirit. Look at verse 9. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, a double portion is a reference to what the eldest son would have received from the father. So in a, in a typical family and during this day, if there would have been two sons, the inheritance would have been divided three ways, and the eldest would have received two double, a, a double portion. And so this is what Elisha is, is speaking about. This is, this is the context. He sees Elijah as his something, possessing something that he wants to inherit. He wants to inherit the spirit that is upon Elijah. And he says, Elijah, I want to inherit that. If I'm Elisha, I'm just thinking, you know, it's hard to follow a good act, right? It's hard to follow somebody really good. So you're like, man, if I'm supposed to follow you, I'm going to need like double of what you got. Because, I mean, because we know Elisha was kind of a balding guy and got picked on a lot. Uh, of course, don't, don't pick on the prophet of the Lord. You read on down, you'll get that story. Um, and, and so he knew that he couldn't, he probably couldn't rely on his good looks or rely on his own intellect. So he's like, Elijah, I'm going to have to need double what you got if I'm going to be anywhere near successful as the prophet of the Lord. And so we see Elisha's full embrace of, of his 
future prophetic role is underscored by his request for the firstborn's portion of the Spirit of God from his father. Elijah, he essentially answers with, can you watch me? Can you cling to me through the last moment when I'm taken from you? Elijah says, hey man, stick by my side and you will get what you've asked. Look at verse 15. The company of the prophets who are watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So the chariots come down. They it splits Elijah from Elisha. Elijah is taken up. And, and, and you get this vision. I mean, everyone's watching this. They see the change happening. And, and I love this image. It's this image of, it's almost like Elisha kind of emerging uh, out of the water, emerging through the Jordan River because he takes the mantle, he takes the scroll, and he rolls it up, and he hits the water, and it parts again, and he moves through. It's almost like this movie scene. You ever go into a movie and you're like, and it's really tense and, and you don't know if the hero is going to die or what's going to happen. And, and, and everything goes black and there's a lot of smoke. And then as the smoke clears, the, the hero begins to emerge into that scene. And at first, you can't really tell who it is. You can't really tell what's going on. And so the prophets, they just saw this big chariot of fire come and... To Elisha, but then all of a sudden he begins to emerge out of this Jordan River, and they know that it's him because they can see that the Spirit of the Lord is resting upon Elisha, and they know that because of the mantle, the cloak that he has. And so it's just this, it's this powerful image that despite a leadership change, Despite the person who we don't like getting elected or the person that we do like getting elected, despite all that, God is still faithful. The Spirit of the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and, in, and tomorrow. The Spirit of the Lord in working and moving in our midst, in our church, and in our world is the same, whether it's a Joe Biden who gets elected or a Donald Trump who gets reelected. None of that changes how the Spirit of the Lord is going to move and work in our lives. Amen. He's going to continue to be faithful. Because it didn't, didn't matter if it was Elijah or Elisha. It was the mantle, the cloak that rested upon him that people recognize that's the Spirit of the Lord. In fact, the author... The author of the book that I'm reading, called, it's, in it, it's called Kings and Presidents. Tim Gaines, professor up at Trevecca, he says this. The goodness in Elijah's leadership wasn't actually found in Elijah at all. It was in the way Elijah cloaked himself in God's faithfulness. And now Elisha wears the same cloak. I'll read that again. It's on the screen. The goodness in Elijah's leadership wasn't actually found in Elijah at all. It was in the way Elijah cloaked himself in God's faithfulness, and now Elisha 
wears the same cloak. Now, this is, this is something for us to, to realize because sometimes we put a lot, of, a lot of weight into a person. We look at a leader and say, oh, man, that's the kind of leader I want. That's the kind of president I like. That's, I like that he does this and I like that she's doing this. But even a great leader like Elijah, we admit that it had nothing to do with Elijah, but everything to do with his faithfulness to the Lord. That's why he was able to successfully pass the mantle on to Elisha, because it had everything to do with the Spirit of the Lord. But if you read on a little bit, it's kind of funny, because there were still some who, they came to Elisha and said, well, where's Elijah? You see, Elijah, and the prophet Obadiah tells us this, Elijah was known to just kind of poof from here to there. The Spirit of the Lord would take Elijah from one place to the other. Don't know how that worked. I wasn't there, but it's in the book. So I believe it. And so they said, oh, well, Elijah, he's on the other side of the mountain. The Spirit of the Lord is taking him over there. And Elisha says, you don't need to go look for Elijah. And, of course, they go and they look for him. They come back and it's like, we didn't find him over there. And Elisha's like, uh, duh. <laughs> I, could, I told you that. Elisha, was, he was kind of a, he's kind of a, a brass guy. He just kind of you know, told it like it was. In a sense, they were afraid because of the change. So this is a takeaway I want you to see. You see, political campaigns or kings tells us to be afraid if there was a change in a certain office. But the kingdom says, do not fear and look for God's faithfulness from generation to generation. You see, the politics behind it wants you to be afraid. Have you seen a political ad recently? Have you seen one that doesn't have a whole lot of music? Dun, 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 Lindsey Graham. <laughs> Jamie Harrison. <laughs> I mean, every political plant has that deep, that guy's voice. And it's like, dun, 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 you know, it's like, ooh, you know. Man, if that guy gets elected, it's all going to just blow up. They're trying to strike fear in us. That's the, that's the kings. That's the, that's the political system. Try, you know, and it's like at the people of God, we reject that and say, no, 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 no. Yes, I've got an opinion about that. Yes, I'm involved, and that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, I am not going to fear because I'm looking for God's faithfulness from generation to generation, no matter who's elected. So no matter who the leader is, as long as the Spirit of the Lord is leading, we do not have any reason to fear. In fact, the kings would tell you that the leader is the one with all the power. The kingdom says the leader is the one in whom the spirit of the Lord rests. We have to, we never can't forget that. So as we begin to wrap it up, please be reminded, our lives are shaped by one of two stories. Our lives are going to be shaped by one of two stories. The story of kings or politics that strikes fear in us because of who may or may not be elected, or we can be shaped by the story of God. The story of God, which is a story of God's faithfulness, no matter the result of elections. 
And I know we all have opinions and it's important to be involved in the process, but don't allow the news cycle to strike fear in your heart. Don't allow the, the platform or of a party to overshadow how God has called us to see the world. Remember, we're called to see the world not as Republicans or not as Democrats, but we're called to see the world as the people of God. To see the world the same way that God sees the world. And we're seeing it through the eyes of a God who is faithful, who will always be faithful to us. He's done it once, and he'll continue to do it again. Would you stand? Let's sing as we begin to close our time together. Thank you for visiting camdenaz.church.